0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Amen. Welcome, welcome. So good to see you all. I call this morning's message, Finding Ourselves. Let's say that together. Finding Ourselves. And... Um, it's not going to be self-focused, though. So. Um, this summer, we've been doing a spiritual formation series called The Summer of Story. And we are exploring the ways our stories form us. What's your story? Where does it come from? And most importantly, how can each of us live from the story of God in a way that enables us to not survive, but thrive and flourish. So we are f- f- focusing on one term is spiritual formation. Your inner story, the predominant narrative that you think and listen to and believe forms who you are. I had um, a great senior leader friend of mine who's, uh, he passed away at 104, but tremendous man. And he would say, what you believe rules you. You don't rule what you believe. And so you become the sum total of the things you truly do believe. And one of the things repentance is, is you change what you believe. You see that there's something wrong with what you believe and there's something right about something else. So we're focusing on that and we're... we're but our goal is to become more and more like Jesus. Who's in for that? Yeah. yeah. Well, Romans twelve two says, do not continue to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And that word is metamorphosis. The process a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind a new way of thinking, what it is you listen to, think on, take in, so that you test and approve what is the will of God, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. So we're beginning to mention more and more three of our core values, which are NFC with Jesus, respect for the Scripture, and treating everyone with dignity. One of the things that struck me, and I want us today to see a fuller, more profound picture and understanding of the gospel and what it provides. But we won't become more like Jesus without an accurate understanding of what he's like, what the Father is like. And we will not become more like Jesus by trying harder. It's by trusting him and relying on his life that dwells within us. We used to have a song oh, so many years ago, it's already shaving and losing hair, but it was a long time back. We would sing, his life is my life. He's living in me. He's living in me. Uh, Jesus is living in me. And the New Testament re- reveals this That a very crucial part of Jesus' mission was to reveal an accurate and a more complete understanding of the nature of God than the Old Testament does. How many of you understand that? The Old Testament is not the place you go to get the most accurate and complete understanding, appreciation, knowledge about who God is, what he's like. Jesus came to reveal more accurately the Father. That was a critical part of his mission. He did that in at least two ways. Through the stories he told, they're called parables. This is the summer of story. We're going to be talking about different parables and by his actions. But he came to reveal the Father. John uh, 14, 6. Let me put this down. You probably don't need to hear what I'm thinking at every turn, but thank God. <laughs> John fourteen six through 11, Jesus identifies himself as being just like his father. Verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And a part of that is no one comes to an accurate perception of who the father is and what he's like, except through Jesus, what we know, what we see, what we hear about him recorded in the New Testament. If you had known me, Jesus said, you would have known my father also. He's talking to his disciples now. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. But one of them doesn't understand. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Okay, we also have something in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So I'm going to buzz through a couple of these because I really want this to register with you. I believe it's on the overhead. Is it up there? Yes. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by what? Actually, his is not there. What that literally says and what it means is has in these last days spoken to us by son. And what he's talking about is it wasn't only words, messages. It was a demonstration of relationship between father and son. He not just speaking As a prophet, although Jesus obviously is clearly the prophet, but he was speaking by himself, his personhood, what it was like. Not just a message, a fleshed out person. Then it goes on and says, uh, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds." Talking about Jesus. Who being what? The brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And I can read the rest of it, but that's the point I want to make. Verse 3 says this. Jesus was the exact expression of God the Father's nature. He was like him in every way. He was a perfect copy, if you want to put it that way, God's nature, the exact likeness of God's being. So Jesus was the exact representation of his father. To know what God is like and to become more like Jesus, we must immerse ourselves in the life of Jesus as revealed in the scriptures. Let me tell you this. The entire cosmos, the entire fallen consciousness, I don't know how to put it, does everything it can to keep you from reading the gospels. From reading the scripture. Because through the scripture, not the dead letter, but through revelation and by the power of the spirit, the scriptures will release in you and through you an impartation of who Jesus is. But media, social media, so much of what goes on. I don't know if you realize that we're in a war zone And there's a lot of bad propaganda out there. And those are the stories millions of people are filling their minds with. And then they're behaving in accordance with those things they believed. They're letting people who don't care about them, who don't love them, tell them who they are. And they're acting it out. Come on. That's right. But Jesus came to demonstrate what his father was like. And if you read through the New Testament, you can count the term father. Jesus uses over 150 times. It's the foundational way he described God. Although we know he was God, you understand what I'm saying. But whenever he talked about God and his relationship or who he was representing, he used the term father father jesus understanding conflicted with the religious leaders views and through those leaders authority and intimidation they constantly imposed on people a very different idea who of who god was and they continually criticized jesus social activities he must have had a confused social coordinator but jesus social coordinator was the holy spirit you got to be careful who you criticize. You know, there's a very strong warning in the Scriptures of, of criticizing the Holy Spirit. It's so strong, I don't even understand it, about what God will and won't forgive. That's another message. But this led to teaching moments, these situations that arose. And we have one recorded in Luke 15, um, his conflict with the, the scribes and the Pharisees inspired Jesus uh, to tell one particular parable or story that had three parts that reveals his father's nature. You're all familiar with this. I'm sure you are, or you, or, or you may be anyway. I hope you are. If you're not, you need to go read Luke 15. We're going to read some of it today. But each part of one story, in three, each part focused on something lost that had been found part of it was a lost one One section was a lost lamb one section was a lost coin and the last one was a lost son so the context of the prodigal son we find in Luke 15 um, I do have this if you want to read it as I read it you don't have to read it out loud I don't want to wear you out I know Many of you are self-conscious. Uh, you would rather hear me than yourself. Come on. I refuse to try to be funny if it's not going to work. I don't want amens. I want laughter. What <laughs> amen will do, you know. But if I can't wring one out of you by doing good, I don't want it so Anyway, verse 1, all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him, Jesus, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus responds to his critics. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And then Jesus continues. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I lost. And hear this once more. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy. And the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And when you read this whole parable in three parts, there are going to be four common themes in each part. The value of each item. God's persistent pursuit of what's lost. Heaven or God's joyful reaction in finding it. And the change of heart, repentance, all four of those, you're going to find three times in this one three-part parable. So the value of each item. Jesus valued the lost lamb enough to leave the 99. Probably a bad business decision when you think about it. But it just reveals to you the heart of God. Here's another thing. Jesus used shepherds and women as examples of the highest form of godliness in this parable. And Jesus was, um, uh, he led the way in his respect and admiration for women. He was way, way ahead of his time. And it was offensive to the Pharisees that Jesus would use a woman as an example of what it was To be godly. And he used a shepherd. Shepherds were the lowest ranking job you could have as a Jew. So Jesus right out of the bat says, here's what God's like. God's like this shepherd and God's like this woman. Well, um, I don't think they were happy about that. But Jesus valued that lamb enough to leave 99 behind. And here's the thing I've got an 18, 1884 Morgan silver dollar. 1884 Morgan silver dollar. And this could be worth anywhere from $40 to $500 depending on condition. And, but the thing, that I, and I made this point here before. Lost or found, this coin has the same value. It didn't become valuable when it was found. It was valuable. You don't become valuable when you give your heart to Jesus and believe the gospel. You are valuable. You are. Honestly, the price Jesus paid didn't determine your value. it reflected your value. There's a difference. There's a difference. It, it didn't determine it, it reflected it. it revealed it. It uncovered it. It showed you something you didn't even believe about yourself. and that's what we're going to see in the gospel today. Um, Matthew 7:11. Jesus says, you being evil, now that's a great way to encourage people right off the bat. He says, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to their children. How much more? Say that with me. How much more your father will give you good things to all those ask him. How much more? See, you think you're better than God? Come on. We don't know how good he is. Our eyes have been blinded. Our sorrows, our heartaches, all that stuff. You're never going to get better because you can identify how heartbroken you've been. You may, it may, you can hear the story. You, You can feel, you know, you can identify with it. But that is not what's going to get you out of that, through that, over that, healthy. It's going to be a revelation of the goodness of God and the depth and the height and the breadth of all that's been provided for us through the gospel. How much more your Father will give good gifts to those who ask him? I've gone back into asking for better stuff. How about you? Come on. I, I think about it. What would you do for your child in trouble? I'd, I would provide for them adequately, and if they didn't get it, they didn't get it. What? No, you would do everything in your power. And Jesus makes the comparison. You being evil would do everything in your power to help someone you loved. How much more? How much more? How much more? More. Much More. And Jesus says, how much more? I'm getting excited, excuse me. (laughs) But that's value, the value of each item. And we're going to look at the third part about um, the lost son here in a minute. Then there's God's persistent pursuit. The shepherd sought out the lost lamb. It's as though the shepherd... Felt an obligation to go find him. Think about that. Think about Jesus in your I mean, you may think you came to Jesus, but he came to you. you. You may track it all down to believing in him. I track it all down to him searching me out and finding me. I was a little lost, reformed Presbyterian boy. Scratching my head and trying to figure out life when I got so touched by God Nobody in my family knew who I was anymore, nor understood me. My daddy said to me, well, uh, son, if you're going to get caught somewhere, church is as good a place as any. That's what my dad said. And he—he he's a godly man down the road. I mean, I don't want to get into all that, but. God's, you know, God's after you. Oh, that reminds me, Psalm twenty-three. Surely, goodness and mercy shall do what? Follow me. There's something after you. Goodness and mercy is after you. Slow down. It's after you. Stop. Turn around. That's repentance. Turn around. See it. Surely, surely. David said. David wrote the 20, I'm just getting way off, but David wrote the 23rd Psalm when his son had stolen his kingdom and was trying to kill him. And that's what the 23rd Psalm was. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He didn't know if he's going to live or die. That was the confession of his faith. We have confessions of faith because we need confessions of faith in the face of life that does not look like faith works. That's why we have them. We're in a war. In our minds, renewing of your mind, God's joyful reaction. When he rescued the lamb, the shepherd gathered a crowd to rejoice in the lamb's rescue as a picture of how heaven rejoices over one who repents. When the woman found the coin, she called together all her friends to rejoice. And we know what happened to the prodigal son. They killed the fatted calf. And then the fourth characteristic or the fourth thing that happens in all three of these is repentance. It's a change of heart. And it was a significant point in each episode. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about repentance here in a little bit. I don't want to do it right now. Because repentance isn't just about being sorry for what you've done. Although there, I believe there is obviously an aspect of that. But you're going to see in a minute that the gospel really is not about your shame. It's about the death of shame. Now, you may have some owning up to do. And and that's an aspect of repentance I don't think we understand. We take responsibility for our behavior so we can disown our behavior. Okay, there's a lot more to that. All right, now we're going to go into what's been called the a prodigal son part in Luke fifteen eleven. verse 11, Jesus said a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood and not many days after this younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal, wasteful, living but when he had spent all there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want then he went and joined him you know i can remember three different episodes without even thinking about it hard where famine played a huge part in someone making a decision that they weren't doing the right thing want has a real way of getting your attention Book of Ruth, story of Joseph, this parable. Famine. Think about it. Maybe discovering your want is not the worst thing that ever happened to you. Boy. I'm going to speak to myself here a second. That, that's really an insight, Robin. I, I know it's quite... It's. Uh, make you look at life holistically instead of bitterly. Yes, there's so many people that <laughs> could really, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, let me see. Where was I? Who's paying attention? What verse do I need to read? 15, 15 all, about the, all about the pigs. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, those pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, what did he do? We're going to talk about it. He came to himself. So he was away from himself. And then he came back. He was away from himself. But then he what? Came to himself. We'll think about that in a minute. And he said, and pay, I'm pay, I want pay thank you, Jesus. Pay attention here. He said something f- uh, faith oriented and positive to make this change. When he came to himself, he said, please say the word said. Said. You know, people have denounced the faith movement for name it and claim it. I'm going to tell you something. If you do not believe the right thing and in turn proclaim the right thing, you will not become the right person. You will not enter into the fullness of God. Now, you can't control God, you know. But listen, the Bible says what it says. With the heart man believes unto righteousness and then suddenly he's saved. No, with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession or profession is made unto the experience of being saved, the experience of a new life. You can't quit condemning everybody that's been success, more successful than you, and just get on with life. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, came to himself and said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair, and I perished with hunger? I will arise. Let's say that. I will arise. Picture of repentance. Go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He had his speech all planned. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants. Bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was what? Dead. And is what? Alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to be merry. So prodigal son, prodigal means wastefully extravagant. But entire books have been written calling that story, the story of the prodigal father. The wasteful, extravagantly wasteful father. Because in the final analysis, he was the most extravagant of all in his love and devotion for his son. So verse 12, let me cover three or four of these verses, and then I'm I'm just going to start shouting here in a minute. I can feel it coming. (laughs) Verse 12, the younger of them, of the two brothers, said, Father, give me the portions of goods that falls to me. So he divided them as livelihood. In the light of Middle East culture, it was a great offense for a son to ask his father for his inheritance. It would be equal to saying, Father, I wish you were already dead. And the father demonstrated amazing restraint and love and wisdom in responding the way he did. Isn't that amazing? His father knew that until the son proved to himself that the lifestyle he was choosing wasn't going to work, he wasn't going to be ready to come home. So he spent half of his resource. The Greek actually says there about the father, he gave them his life. That's what the Greek actually says when he gave his inheritance. Oh, my goodness. My well, the son's father is a picture of God the Father who gave his son to provide a way for our return to him, to prove his love to us, demonstrate his love to us. Verse 13, um, so the young son packed up his belongings, traveled off to see the world, wasted everything he had on bad living. Actually, his later his brother would say, he devoured his livelihood with prostitutes. Looking at verse 15 and 16, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. You know what? I've read it. He went to the fields to feed the swine, and he was so hungry, he would have eaten pig's food. He would have eaten what the pigs were eating because no one gave him anything. Let me tell you this. The world's a selfish place. It's a selfish place. Your basic value in the world lies in what you can do for someone else. And when you can't do it anymore, they're not interested in you. Who's listening to me? And businesses that break that, profit. When situations where you truly begin to care more about people than what they can do for you. You know, I have got some very sketchy friends. I do. But guess what? I like them. I like them. And they do and say things I don't like. They're my friends. Because my value isn't based on what I can get from them. My value is based on what I have seen in them that I really admire and I really care about. And I have been through some with some of these guys, what I would call the many dangerous toils and snares I have already come club and have become charter members. And they may do things, they may say things I don't like that I don't agree with. I don't care. I have wealthy friends. I have told wealthy friends who are trying to decide on whether or not to come to this church or go to another church. I've told them, go to the other church. Several reasons. My friendship's not going to be based on their money. And my trust in God is not going to be because I manipulated rich people to come sit in this building. If God can't take care of me, if God can't take care... Take care of this church. Sooner I find that out, the better off we'll all be. And if he can't take care of you, go find a better religion. Help yourself. Either this is right and works or it's not. I don't mean we do it all right. But there is something that happens to us when we see we have a good father. We can be generous. We don't have to con people into helping us. We don't have to manipulate and control and hype and do all the crap that goes on in the church world and the natural world. We don't have to act like them to be what we've been called to be. Oh, my goodness. When you can't provide for them, they don't like you anymore. They don't care. How many of you know what I'm saying is true? Come on. It shouldn't be that way in the church world. And feeding pigs. Nothing worse for a Jewish man than feeding pigs. Pigs weren't kosher. They weren't permitted to even eat them. Never mind feed them and grow them. Now, I like this, verse 17, but when he came to himself. Let's say that together. When he came to himself. He said, how many... My father's, how many people are better off as slaves in my daddy's house than I am right now? I'm going home, is what he said. And I'm going to say whatever it takes to get back in there. I'm going to own up. I'm not going to make excuses. But I know I'm not worthy. That's what he thought. When he came to himself. Now, I'm just going to ramble around here because I enjoy this part. When he came to himself. Well, he had a himself that he left in pursuit of a someone else self. Make, yeah, that makes sense. It does, it, he had a himself. He came to himself. What, what does that mean? Well, he tried to become somebody he wasn't. There was a false someone In there too. Could have been someone other people thought he should be. Some have called it your false self. But if he came to himself, he came from somewhere back to the person God knew him to be. The one he had been created to be that he had not discovered yet. And it wasn't a drunken, self-centered, prostitute chasing Pig feeding slop eating himself you think God created man, men and woman, in his likeness as the crown of his creation. Now think about it, think about the way you live is that does that look like the best God made to demonstrate to the world how Creative and what a marvelous creator he is. You know, Bill Johnson talks, when he talks about giving, he tells the story of um, Alexander the Great. And, and, And a man came to beg Alexander the Great for a few copper coins. And Alexander the Great gave him gold. And Alexander the Great's servant said, why would you give him gold when copper coins would have done just fine? And he said, because I didn't give based on who he was. I gave based on who I am. Because You are royalty, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a child of the king. And royalty has a certain way they carry themselves. They have a certain way they look at life. They Generosity is a characteristic of being that kind of person. You can get browbeaten into giving an offering or you can live up to who it is you really are and know, know who your daddy is, know who your father is. Know what whose blood runs through your veins. Or you can you can live at the pig swap level. It's up to you. But it all comes down to who you see God is and what he 's like it 's not complicated. It gets complicated working it out, ladies and gentlemen but it 's not a complicated issue. He came to himself when he recognized that his father was good and that was home where he needed to be. He humbled himself. Say that to somebody. You need to be more humble. I mean, we should humble. No. He humbled himself. He came back and he said, instead of give me, he said, make me. Do something in my life, is what he was asking his dad by prophetic imagery. Do for me out of your kindness what I could not do for myself. That's what we ask God for. Do for me out of your kindness what I cannot do for myself. He remembered. He remembered. We have short memories when it comes to the goodness of God because we're so consumed sometimes by things that didn't work out. But he remembered how well his father treated shoeless slaves, and hired servants. He knew and remembered his father was good. He just didn't know how good his father was. And we have sold the gospel short, ladies and gentlemen. We have sold it short. It's become weak. It's become about arguments between churches and ideas and thoughts. But we have developed at times an impoverished, poverty-minded viewpoint and understanding of how God is. Think of what he's provided for us in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul would term that in the cross. He said, I would know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, the cross is the power of God to everyone who believes. But you have got to know what you're believing when you're believing in the cross. As far as God's concerned, I don't know about you, but as far as he's concerned, when Jesus died, You died, your shame died, your guilt died, your lack died, every bit of it. That's what God believes when Jesus was raised from the dead. As far as God's concerned, we were raised from the dead. We were given a new life. We were raised up in the newness of life. That's what God believes. Don't know why we ought to agree. That's what God believes. That's what God thinks happened. That's what he's convinced of. I don't know why we ought to believe that. If only God thinks it's right. I don't know why it would matter to us if that's what God believes. Huh. We were delivered. We were transferred. We were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the son of his love, the kingdom of his dear son. We have been placed in, taken out of, and stuck unbeknownst to us at the cross the kingdom of Jesus Paul affirms his faith not just this idea this reality we've been translated from the oppression of a very very dark kingdom into a kingdom of light a kingdom of blessing colossians 1:13 he has delivered us from the power of darkness guess what you may be buffeted by all sort of things but you've been delivered from the power of darkness according to what god believes according to what paul understood the gospel not shall be have been see we're in a journey of discovery that's what our whole Christian life's all about. Why, when we got saved, didn't God just kill us and take us to heaven? Because He wants to reveal in us the reality of what He did in Christ through us as a demonstration. He wants to take poor, pitiful people like you and I, imbue us, empower us, uh, in, in, enlighten us to show the principalities and powers. Paul says in another uh, uh, book of Ephesians, He wants to demonstrate to them those Evil, demonic, rebellious hordes, the devil himself and Satan. He wants to embarrass and humiliate them through someone like you and I by so profoundly changing our lives through the death and the burial, crucifixion and resurrection of Christ Jesus because there is more in that than you can put into words. And it's been sold short He delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have. What do we have? Redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. We were removed out of one kingdom, that of darkness. God put us into another one. Which one? The kingdom of the son of his love, of his dear son, redeemed by the blood shed by Jesus for us a testimony of God's rich generation. He proved our value. What are you worth? Here's what you're worth to God. Everything. He rolled the dice. Do you know a son of God could probably have blown it? I don't know. He rolled the dice. He put it all down. He made one choice, one plan. No plan B. Plan A. And Jesus was faithful to the end. And that's your value. What's your value? Jesus is your value. That's your value. I like this. We have escaped. Huh, come on. We've escaped. We've escaped the clutches of evil and darkness. We've been translocated. We thought we were here when we were there. That's what happens when you come back to yourself. You realize who you are, where you are, what you have, whose you are. But we escaped. We were in darkness, but we're not anymore. You escaped. You broke out of prison. You burst out of one kingdom and you bolted headlong into another one and didn't even know it. You got away. You left suddenly unimpeded you cut and run you evaded you avoided you eluded you shook off the works of darkness you absconded god disentangled you from the evil one and set you in a whole new marvelous kingdom in divine relationship with jesus and you didn't even know what happened that's what i'm telling you this is what jesus did 2000 years ago we should be in the process of this great discovery I am. I'm in it all over again. I'm looking all over again. Not by our works, but by the redemptive work of God in the person of Christ Jesus. Oh, my goodness. All you guilt-laden folk, whoever there is among us who feels that guilt or shame, I want to tell you this. Jesus was raised from the dead to confirm to us our new innocence. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead is a proclamation that you are now innocent of all charges. Colossians two thirteen and 14. Is that overhead? There you go. Verse 13. This realm of death describes our former state. For we were held in sin's grasp, but now... We've been resurrected out of that realm of death never to return. For We are forever alive and forgiven all our sins. Let's read verse 14 together out loud and out loud means you're actually saying something. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. The old arrest warrant that stood to indict us He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. That's the gospel. The challenge is to change our mind have have that reorient us there is um yeah, i'm just going to i think close here with well, about verse 20 i've, I've got four more, more pages i just can't can't get to them but in verse 20 it says the prodigal son arose and came to his father but when he was still a great way off his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. In the first century, a Middle Eastern man never, never ran. If he were to run, he would have to hitch up his tunic, so he wouldn't trip. If he did this, It would show his bare legs, and in that culture, it was humiliating and shameful for man to show his bare legs. I'm reading this from someone else's resource, and I can't remember where I got it, but I know I've seen it in several places. But So here's a question. If it was shameful for man to run in that culture, why did the father run when his son returned to him? What motivated him to shame himself? What motivated him to shame himself? What motivated Jesus to suffer public humiliation, the shame of being beaten bloody, hanging naked in front of even his mother, what motivated him to bear that shame. Well, there was a first century Jewish custom. Kenneth Bailey in The Cross and the Prodigal explains that if a Jewish son lost his inheritance among Gentiles and then returned home, the community would perform a ceremony called the Kizaza. They would break a large pot in front of him and yell, you are now cut off from your people. They wouldn't let him back. They would totally reject him. So why did his father run? He ran in order to get to his son before the village could. The father runs and shames himself in an effort to keep the son from being shamed and humiliated by that entire community. But instead, here's what his father did. He gave him a robe. He gave him sandals. He gave him a ring. He gave him the fatted calf and celebrated. And there's a whole lot in that. I'm not going to get into it. It's another 20 minutes, maybe a half hour. But let me just say this. The fatted calf. How many of you have heard that term, the fatted calf? The fatted calf was a calf that they provided for a special person who was returning after a long, long trip away. It was a provision, a special provision. The fatty calf. And there's just so much about God we haven't laid hold of in his goodness. And here's the key in Second Timothy one nine. God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus when? before the world began, when, when you think about um, the, the abortion issue and all of that stuff in human life, do you know God gave every person a purpose from not conception before conception, from before the world began. Now, I don't talk a lot about politics, and I'll tell you why. There are people in this room, the people I know I can help, and if they knew all my personal opinions, they wouldn't listen to the kind of help I can actually give them. And I'm not changing anybody. But here's the way I can change you. If I can get you in touch with Jesus... See, Jesus didn't tell people what to think. He told them, taught them how to think by revealing himself to them. That's what he does. That's how good he is. And you know the key to lasting repentance, it isn't getting beat up and being told all your short falls. The key to lasting repentance is just like the thing that turned the heart of the prodigal son. It's in discovering how good your father is. Not how bad you are in taking responsibility, how good he is and what he has for you. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.